Welcome to Mind Meets Body and Soul, a podcast that connects the dots between clinical mental health and spiritual holistic wellness. I'm Heather, a licensed clinical social worker and mental health guru. And I'm Devin, a Reiki master, spiritual teacher, and lover of all things woo-woo. We're here to discuss various wellness topics, highlighting the connection between the mind, body, and soul. We'll be offering nuggets of wisdom from each of our fields with the ultimate goal of bridging the gap between our two worlds. Whether you lean more into cognitive psychology or flow with the woo-woo waters, our intention is to help you prioritize yourself and unlock a fresh perspective to healing, growth, and expansion. We're so excited you're here. Let's jump in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mind Meets Body and Soul, episode 31. It is wild to think that when this episode airs, we will be in the very first week of November. Here with my co-host, Heather. How are you doing? I'm good. We were just catching up. I'm in my cozy sweatpants and sweatshirt today. It's like a cold, rainy day, which I'm kind of like vibing with. So (laughs) I'm very cozy and doing well. I'm there with you too. Yeah, I'm happy to be here with you as always. You only have a little snippet idea of this conversation that we're going to be getting into today. I'm going to be kicking us off here, but speaking to a topic that is very much your world. However, I'm experiencing a lot in my personal life, and I also do incorporate this topic in my professional life as well. So three episodes ago, we shared a conversation on love languages, and we talked through what the different love languages were, how to bring them into communication with our partners, whether it's romantic, family, coworkers, et cetera. And I know that it really sparked some inspiration for us to talk about or to continue this conversation about things relating to dating and love and relationships. And I know I'm always one that's happy to talk about the topic of love. So today I bring to you, to our audience, this topic of attachment styles. I love this conversation and it's been one I remember when I was like still doing my clinical internships in grad school. I remember learning about attachment and I worked with children at the time and attachment was like a big theme and I always find it to be fascinating and I'm very excited to dive in and have this conversation. Me too. And you know, I gave you a little bit like of a heads up, here's what's going on in my life before our call. But, you know, just to share openly with our audience, I know that I've spoken to or at least alluded to in the past how I've been on this consciously solo journey for a little bit of time. I've really put dating on hold. Um, I think it's probably been almost about two years that I've just really chosen to focus on my healing journey. I also have been growing my business and it's been really helpful because in this time I've learned so much about myself, how I've shown up in relationships in the past, of course, in romantic relationships, but in all relationships as well. And this topic of attachment styles really is prevalent for me now because I have over the past couple months slowly opened myself back up to dating and and you know the the idea of just meeting and connecting with other people. And so really exciting. 
also though, I'm noticing that as I open myself up more, as I'm connecting with people, like I feel, I find that, that like pesky, like anxious attachment style, which is more I've learned is my tendency is creeping back up. So I thought what better time than to bring this conversation in when I am in the thick of this experience and can really personally relate to what it is that we're talking about. So attachment styles, having a very psychological background, I was wondering if you would kick us off by just explaining the different or the attachment theory and the different attachment styles. Yeah. So attachment styles, attachment theory is definitely very my world, very psych 101. Um, If anybody took any psych classes in college, you've probably heard of John Bowlby or Mary Ainsworth. They're kind of like the founders of attachment theory. And there were kind of two theories at the time. Everybody kind of knows nature and nurture. Behaviorists took one approach in feeling that attachment was something that was learned over time. So as babies, we receive food, safety, whatever from our parents or our caregivers, and then we learn to attach to them. Whereas Bowlby came in and believed that we're actually like innately wired to attach to our caregivers. And that's the intention that we are born and we're very needy as babies. We're very like needy in the sense that like we need them, we need these caregivers and our parents for survival. So we do need to attach to them in order to receive food, in order to be protected and be safe. So It was kind of like these two different ideas of which came first. Is it like we receive the support that we need and then attach, or are we wired to attach to people and then the food, safety, all of those things come as a result of that, kind of like the chicken or the egg, which came first. Some researchers have said that we have something called a critical period, which is where in like our first two years of life is really when our attachment forms, which is wild to think that this attachment is formed so early and then sticks with us for like so much of our lives. We will get into this a little bit more, but our attachment styles can change. For a lot of people, they don't because we continue, we have this tendency to continue into relationships that don't serve us or kind of mirror or mimic past relationships. But our attachment styles are capable of changing depending on the types of relationships we get into later in life. Thank you for explaining it like that. Yeah, I remember in, I think it was either my AP psych class in senior year of high school or, you know, probably my like psych 101 in college as well, the different experiments that they would do. I remember the one experiment that that's probably more well known was with um, a baby and a caregiver. And it was like to see what the attachment would be like if the caregiver were to leave and the response of the baby. And then when the caregiver comes back, testing the different attachment styles to see how the baby responds when their caregiver does return after a period of separation. Yeah. And that's really some of the founding research on this attachment style and figuring out like, are we able to feel safe in the absence of our caregiver? Are we, how do we respond to strangers that are in the room? If there's like a babysitter or we're left in a room with another type of stranger, how do we respond to our parents or our caregiver when they come back? Are we excited to see them? Are we angry that they left us? Are we flat in our affect and like not emotional at all? So really all of this that you're speaking to is some of that founding research. 
Thank you. And I know that I've mentioned here that my attachment style is more on the anxious side and figuring that out for myself. I know it was like COVID times when I was diving into all of this and I was starting to get an understanding for like why I feel or show up in relationships in the way that I do. And that's when I came across the element of attachment styles when it comes to relationships as an adult. And that was really helpful for me. So before we get more into this, let's go through the different attachment styles and kind of just break down what each one means for us. Sure. So there's four different attachment styles. The first one is a secure attachment. So this is often developed when our caregivers are emotionally available to us. They're a responsive caregiver. They're present. They're supportive. We have a consistent relationship with them. They're here, loving. We feel connected to them. We can rely on them. It's like a trusting relationship. So the second one is... Um, an anxious attachment style, which you shared is part of your experience. This one is also often called an ambivalent attachment style or a preoccupied attachment style. What's interesting is that like in a textbook way, the anxious attachment style often develops more from when our parents, our caregivers, our family of origin are like overly close or lack boundaries. We Clinically, we use the word like enmeshed families. So obviously you had a very different experience and we'll dive into that a little bit more deeply, but the anxious attachment style often comes from being so, so close that we don't know how to be without a relationship or we feel anxious without relationships. The third one is an avoidant attachment style or a dismissive attachment style. Both words, again, used synonymously. These often develop when we have an inconsistent or an unavailable caregiver. So this is oftentimes the case if children are moving um, into foster care or there's any sort of adoption. When we lose that person or that person is inconsistent or unavailable emotionally, but also like physically in our lives, we can tend to develop an avoidant or a dismissive attachment style. And then the fourth style is disorganized or fearful. And this one is developed when our caregivers are inconsistent in our lives. They might be in and out. This is more, I guess, the foster care type of system where we have a caregiver and then we don't, we do, and then we don't. So we're like unsure, hence this kind of like disorganized, can I attach to people? Can I not attach to people? Like we're a little bit more uncertain here. Thank you, Heather. And one thing that you had mentioned too, like this being the like textbook, like definition or, you know, what the, the research has shown, I really want to emphasize here that it's going to show up differently for everybody. Like just because you find yourself in a more anxious atten- attachment style doesn't have to mean that like that was your background. Because yes, as you mentioned, like I've mentioned, I've found that my attachment style is more on the anxious side. And yet my background would not really follow what the textbook says. And that was confusing for me in in areas because as I was exploring these attachment styles, this is prior to any type of deep healing that I was doing. I was confused because I was like, I have a very secure loving attachment with my mom. Like my mom has always been there for my sister and me. She raised us, you know, was always present and really like lucky, very fortunate in that, in that way to have such a secure, loving parent. It wasn't until 
I started my work with Michelle and we talk about that experience in our deep dive into the unconscious guest episode with her. It wasn't until I started working with her and asking her, like questioning why I had this anxious attachment style that I understood that, oh yeah, from my abandonment at two months of age is when I developed this attachment style. And so looking at it in the textbook way, like, yeah, it doesn't make total sense because you would think that given my background that I would have more of the avoidant attachment style. I don't know what it is, but you know, I know for myself that that anxious attachment style is more true for me. And so just a disclaimer for anybody that's listening that doesn't know exactly where or why they fall. It's okay. And like, there's, we're all going to be different. And just to respond to that too, Devin, like the thing that I'm thinking, my brain is kind of like assessing and analyzing as you're talking. So yes, there's this critical period of attachment where from zero to two years old, we start to develop and can lock in our attachment. But interestingly enough, in a situation like yours, you didn't get the opportunity to have that attachment with your birth mother. And then we're adopted into this very loving, very caring family. And I can almost imagine how the inability to attach then followed up by like a very loving, secure relationship also could lead you to have this anxious attachment style because similarly to the disorganized fearful type, it's like, okay, I don't have an attachment and now I have a very secure attachment. So that is confusing and that can be, you know, impactful. Thank you. I think that's an important distinction to make. And also to like, this is going to be, have to be another part of this conversation as well is like how trauma then impacts our attachment style because my situation was, you know, not the norm. Like my, the first few months, year of my life was not the norm. And so like we, it's, I guess it's helpful to make that distinction that we're talking attachment styles, like given a person maybe who is with the same caregiver from birth to those like, you know, two years of their life. And so if you add trauma into that as well, and that's trauma at any point of our life, Mm -hmm. I think that really does rock our sense of attachment then as well. Yeah. And interestingly too, there was some research I remember seeing fairly recently that was talking about trauma, natural disaster, loss, um, moving, like if children at any point in their lives move and have to experience loss of their school, their friends, their, their home, um, all of those types of traumas can definitely impact our attachment style. So there's a lot of things I remember learning about attachment style and it was like, this is your attachment style, period. And it's like, okay, but now we understand that so many things can affect our attachment style as we get older, whether that's the type of relationships that we get into, trauma, our environment, situational things. So there's a lot of factors here that can influence your attachment. I want to also at some point in this episode, I think we'll speak to what this looks like, each of these attachment styles in adulthood, but then also as we love to do, we'll end with talking about like, okay, so this is your attachment style or you think this is your attachment style, like here's what to do about it. So don't, Mm -hmm. I don't want any of these attachment styles to sound bad or scary or um, like doom and gloom. It's actually like really helpful to know your attachment style and then know how to respond to that in relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And, you know, the reason why this conversation, this topic of conversation came up for me was because I was curious and I asked you to, I asked you this as well, like coming from this two year hiatus from dating, our attachment styles show up in all of our relationships, but of course they show up most intensely or most obviously in our intimate romantic relationships. But having taken this two year hiatus from dating and really just focusing on myself, not having to, you know, think about, worry about anybody else in that intimate way, coming back into just opening myself up to the prospect of dating and connecting with others, I found that those like anxious thoughts were still arising, even if I knew that things weren't exactly warranted, you know? And so that was kind of my thought process or my question was like, hmm, I wonder if despite the deep healing work that we do, our, our attachment style is our attachment style. However, it's having the awareness and having the tools that helps us work with our attachment style in a mindful way and in a way that's helpful for us so that we're not just like overreacting in our relationships. Yeah. While it is a big part of our lives and it is fairly deeply planted early on in life, and I know I said, like, don't feel all doom and gloom. We do have to do a lot of work to heal from this and proactively work on our attachment styles and our relationships and how we process information because it it is really very much this like automatic response that happens in a situation. And I always talk about in therapy sessions with my clients, like we kind of have these like filing cabinets in our brain where we store away information. And if you have an anxious attachment style and you're scared of abandonment, someone not responding to a text message is easily stored away in that like, oh, I'm unlovable filing cabinet. So we have to proactively go back in there, pull that out and say, okay, could be, they could be abandoning me. And they also could be busy or working or have read it and forgot to respond or forget to hit send. It could be all these other things. So I'm not going to automatically jump into abandonment. And that's where like it takes a lot of work and a lot of healing and a lot of effort. But it is something that we can unlearn and then relearn something else. And thank you for recognizing that it does take a lot of work because I'm thinking about it. And like, yeah, it takes a lot of work. It's really, it can be really exhausting. And so I just appreciate that like, hey, I recognize that this can be hard. And I really want to emphasize that for anybody listening that also finds themselves in the more, you know, whether that's insecure, anxious, avoidant, or disorganized attachment style is like, yeah, this is not easy because I think about here's that like nervous system regulation piece. Like if our nervous system at its baseline, at its foundation has already been put into this like dysregulated state, it's going to take a lot of mindful awareness and conscious work to get ourselves back to this place of comfort and security. And, you know, I don't know if that really gets recognized a lot. So that's what we have this space here for. Yeah, it's very much, I think our attachment style looks very much like a knee-jerk reaction. Like, I don't know. I actually did when I went to the doctor when I was little, have him like do that little hammer thing on your leg and it <laughs> goes up. Like you get triggered or we get triggered and 
we react. Our, our automatic response is fear or anxiety or, um, you know, that nervous system dysregulation is automatically what happens because we're so protective, right? We've gone through this. We understand that we're wired to need relationships and all of these attachment styles, in my opinion, are like a defense mechanism for us. So an anxious attachment style is like, do not let these people leave. We are so scared of abandonment. Like we need these people. Whereas like a more dismissive attachment style where we're a lot more of an independent person, I don't need those relationships, kind of like a lone wolf type person is like, I'm not going to get close to you because you're probably going to leave. So it's coming at the same fear from different angles and reacting or responding or learning to attach differently as a way to protect ourselves. Mm. Yeah. No, exactly what you just said there, that fear of, of somebody leaving. And I think that's across the board of any not secure or, you know, insecure attachment style is that fear of somebody leaving. And it's warranted because mm -hmm. in the past we have experienced to some degree somebody leaving, somebody very close and important to us. So I would love to get into how these attachment styles then show up in our relationships as adults. It's easiest for us to use romantic relationships as like the biggest example. Um, would you want to start with how that shows up in a relationship with individuals who have a secure attachment? Absolutely. A secure attachment, like we said, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory or it sounds pretty self-explanatory. We're secure. We're trusting. So this shows up like I'm able to be easily emotionally close to others. I'm trusting. I'm able to depend on other people. I trust that they'll show up for me. I am comfortable with other people depending on me too. So it's a very balanced relationship. It's very secure. I can regulate if I'm a secure attachment. I'm saying I as a secure attachment person, not that that's my attachment style. I'm capable of regulating my own emotions, positive emotions and negative emotions. I'm very, it's very balanced and not that we stay in this balanced state, but we can navigate imbalance in a positive and like I'm using air quotes here, healthy way. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And like that, of course, we hear that and we're like, well, that's, of course, the ideal goal is for everybody to be, to have that secure attachment style. Because again, like at your baseline, at your foundation, there's that security there. And would you say that that typically forms from having a set of two caregivers who are present, who demonstrate or model healthy love with one another? And, you know, there's boundaries, there's communication, there's just an inherent sense of trust. Yeah. All of those things are exactly what leads into or plays into forming a secure attachment. Honestly, sometimes I hear that and it makes me feel sad that that's not the norm or that that's, you know, the norm. But like, it seems like there's so many that don't have that. As we've seen this rise of mental health issues, it stems back to like these issues that we're experiencing and like they start in the home or they involve so much trauma that then impacts these attachment styles. So I always find myself like feeling for all of myself included for all of those people that don't have that secure attachment at our, the foundation of our being. I also just want to add in here, like 
even if you have the most um, supportive, trusting, consistent caregivers, there's like environmental factors that like all of the children that were born during the pandemic or like still in that critical period of time and having parents home 24 seven, things like that can also impact your attachment style. So it's not, I just always feel like protective in these conversations. I don't want any parents or new parents to also be like taking on blame where it isn't necessarily warranted. This Mm, is not a pointing the finger conversation, just like a help us understand where we are and what we can do with it type of conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for adding that in there. And to that point too, I always emphasize when it comes to us doing like inner child healing work, this is not at all to say that your parents, caregivers, adult role models or anything didn't show up for you in the best way that they could, right? Or in a healthy way by any means, especially going through my own inner child healing journey. Like I've had multiple conversations with my mom where I wanted her to know that this has nothing to do with her. And that like the stuff that I'm working through actually is very much pertaining to what happened before she even came into my life. But beyond that too, like we have to recognize that we are all such uniquely wired individuals that just because we are in a family system and that we have the parents that we have doesn't mean that they are going to know 100% of what we need. And same thing with environment. We are never necessarily going to be in an environment that has 100% everything that we need. And so now as adults, we have the fun role of like going back and reparenting ourselves, like with that awareness of, I know what I need. I know what makes me safe. I know what makes me feel comfortable. And it's my responsibility now to give that to myself. Imagine that you're bringing in duality to another one of our conversations and (laughs) two things or multiple things can coexist at the same time. Yeah. So getting into then how the anxious attachment style shows up as somebody who very much has this, I'm like, oh yeah, easy for me to, to share what this looks like in relationships from the personal perspective and also just in the professional perspective as well. Those who have that anxious attachment style tendency, I mean, it's self-explanatory in that we show up in our relationships very anxious. Someone with an anxious attachment style may really need a lot of communication from their partner, but not in the like necessarily in the healthy set form of communication, but needs that over communication. Like, you know, tell me where you all are at all times. Like talk to me every single time in the day. And so that's one way that that anxious attachment style showed up for me in my adult relationships. And then beyond that, even in friendships too. Like I always felt like I needed to give 100% because if I didn't give, then I wasn't going to receive. And so like, if I wasn't making the plans with my friends, if I wasn't showing up to everything, if I wasn't saying yes to any, everything, then I wasn't going to have plans or have friends or have people show up for me when I wanted I'm speaking, you know, a lot personally here, but I imagine that that's how those with that anxious attachment tendency show up in relationships. I have my notes up. I have a worksheet that I'll link in our show notes on attachment styles on each of them. And the bullet points I have, you almost spoke exactly to. It says deep fear of abandonment, worried that others don't value me as much as I value them seeking high levels of approval and validation from partners, whether that's saying yes to everything and always being there 
for those that constant communication and those constant text messages. Yep. <laughs> that's that's all of it. And you know, hopefully for those listening, like if we do have those that fall in any of those categories and they're like, yeah, hand raise, that's me too. Let this just be like a breath of fresh air. Like, because I know for me, when I realized that that was my tendency, that was my attachment style, it was like, oh, okay. So I'm not crazy. I'm not like wrong. Like this is a real thing. And if I could speak to the avoidant attachment style too, from what I understand, personal experience, professional as well is that those with the anxious attachment style typically tend to attract those with an avoidant attachment style. What that looks like from my point of view, those with the more avoidant attachment style, as you said earlier on, it's that kind of fear of abandonment. And so rather than stick around and like wait for that shoe to drop, it's like they may leave a situation, a relationship before anything potentially negative happens. And so that's kind of what we see when we talk about somebody being emotionally unavailable or somebody who retreats into their cave and like just doesn't want to deal with any type of conflict or confrontation. And so I find that that's oftentimes the dynamic that anxious attachment style people find themselves in is with somebody who's avoidant because it becomes like a cat and mouse chase where the anxiously attached person is like, hey, where are you going? Come back. Like, I need you right here. You know, don't leave me. And then the avoidant attachment style is then like running as far as they can. Oftentimes being like, I don't want to deal with any conflict right now because if I deal with conflict, then things are just going to go south and I can't handle that. Is that what you would say for the avoidant attachment style? Yeah, absolutely. Again, totally a defense mechanism here where the avoidant attachment style keeps their relationships at an arm's length because mm. they prefer to view themselves as self-sufficient or independent. And it's harder for them almost to be emotionally close to someone because that feels uncomfortable and they might be more likely to get hurt. They might even be like apathetic towards relationships. They're kind of just like a much more independent person. Um, they may intentionally push people away to keep themselves in this avoidant style. They don't necessarily want other people to depend on them and they don't want to depend on other people. It's it's very much this, I've got it, I'm self-sufficient, I'm independent, um, they value independence very much so. They sometimes also might present with a defensive personality, like very defensive of themselves because it's like I'm a one-man show or a one-man pack and I have to be the sole protector and do all of the things all of the time. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Thank you for explaining that. And would you mind going into the disorganized attachment style and how that shows up, tends to show up in relationships? Yeah. So the disorganized or fearful, fearful, insecure, insecure, disorganized, whatever you want to call it, this one can be a combination of the avoidant and the anxious, where this person might vacillate between an anxious attachment style where I'm very much craving relationships and I'm deeply fearful of abandonment to switching to an avoidant attachment style. So this person might present or feel they might feel hot and cold. They might present as hot and cold in relationships. They want 
this closeness. I think this person is like craving this closeness to other people, but is so scared of getting hurt and so uncomfortable with that closeness because it's unfamiliar to them because of how they learned to attach to people or didn't learn to attach to people. It feels extra scary and there's a heightened sense of awareness that I could get hurt. So this person has very mixed feelings about relationships. This person is very fear-based or closed off and then sometimes might be like very invested. It's rooted a lot of times in feeling unworthy or feeling like undeserving in relationships because they haven't yet experienced a healthy, satisfying relationship. So they're very unsure. Thank you. And I'm always so grateful to be having these conversations because it just opens us up to so much more, right? It gets us out of our, like, this is my life. This is how I think. This is how I feel. And like, we forget that not everybody else is that same way. So I know that this conversation really will help to just, you know, broaden the perspective. My sister and I have talked about this a lot. My sister is a therapist, go figure, (laughs) both two people who have gone through, you know, what we have and um, are here to help others. And we've talked about this. And like, while my sister and I have very similar backgrounds in that we were both adopted, we both have different attachment styles. And we've talked about how like my attachment style shows up and how hers does and like how for a lot of our life, like growing up, like we really butt heads. It makes sense now as like two adults who are doing the work because it's like, well, yeah, we had these two very different attachment styles. We had one parent and she was doing the best that she could, but we were already coming from this place of like really deep wounding. And so of course it's going to affect our relationship with one another as a family as well. So these attachment styles, they really do get in the way of all of our relationships. And, you know, as we are starting to transition to like, okay, so what do we do about them? I do want to like revisit the fact that like these attachment styles, wherever we find ourselves, they really do stick with us probably for all of our life. And getting briefly into like how trauma impacts that as well, we're reminded that the attachment style isn't just, you know, developed and set in place from those first really important two years of our lives, because then throughout like our childhood or teenage years, we experience trauma, whether that is the loss of somebody, parents splitting up, as you mentioned, a move. And so all of these experiences can really rock our sense of security. And I was wondering if you would just speak to that for a moment before we move on. Yeah. So I think the research says that about 70% of attachments will stay consistent throughout our lives and then leaving about 30% to change. That can that can be for better or worse where like if we deal with this type of any of these traumas, an abusive relationship, anything like loss, moving, anything, then we can move from a more secure attachment to a more one of the three more insecure attachment types. We can go from feeling an anxious attachment to that defense mechanism of, all right, I'm avoidant. I'm not going to attach to anybody anymore because I've learned that it's not helpful to me or it doesn't serve me. So these attachments can shift within themselves because of those traumatic experiences. And then we can also do the work and that's where the 30% can be a change towards a more secure or towards a more 
healthy, again, air quotes, healthy or positive secure attachment style. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Two weeks ago, we had our Q&A episode, right? Where we spoke about like epigenetics and neuroplasticity and stuff. And so while we may have these tendencies, these habits, these things that are like have a very strong presence or like really are at, at the foundation of our being, I always find it so empowering that like we do have the ability to change things for ourselves in any given time. It just takes a lot of work. So let's get into that. How to go from a more insecure attachment to a more secure attachment. I talk about attachment in therapy a lot. And for some people, when I pull out my worksheet and we're reading through these attachment styles, it's almost like when you read your horoscope and you're like, (laughs) how do they know that this is me? And then other times people pull bits and pieces from various different attachment styles. The reason that I'm saying this is because it's less important to me for you to be like, okay, this is my exact attachment style. It's more important, in my opinion, for you to understand your own individual reactions, your attachment-based reactions to various triggers or towards relationships. So I want for you, I think attachment styles, in my opinion, and doing this work, it's all about self-awareness and really looking ourselves in the mirror and really doing that work to uncover and understand how do I respond? How do I react to relationships and to various triggers in relationships? And in there, we zoom in there and that's where our work is. So like you were saying, A lot of this is very much like emotional regulation or nervous system regulation here where something happens, a person doesn't respond to our text message or, you know, we get stood up on a date Our we have this chemical like automatic response, this emotion that comes up, fear, rejection, anxiety, anger, whatever that is. So it's like trigger, emotion, reaction. What we want to do in this healing process is zoom in on when that emotion happens so we can understand, okay, I'm feeling very anxious. I'm feeling rejected. I'm feeling abandoned. I'm feeling my guard go up. And then we can actively put in a tool or like a fork in the road where we can choose to do something differently. Believe it or not, even though when we're emotional, it feels like we have to react based on that emotion, we can instead do some of that emotional regulation, still feel that feeling, but calm ourselves and not react from that emotional place. That's great. And, you know, as I'm listening to that, I'm like, wow, this here, Heather, you're coming from this very like bridged place of mind and body. Because sometimes we we have these like reactions and we think it's all in our head, right? It's like, why do I, why am I so anxious right now? Like I'm just all in my head or why am I running away. Like this must all be in my head, but no, like there's such a body component to that too. And that is that emotional nervous system piece to it. So, I mean, in my eyes, you just like made that connection between the mind and body. And that was a really helpful tool. So thank you. You're welcome. What do you suggest? Or I mean, what does this look like when you're starting to lean into these or bring these attachment styles into your whether it's personal experience or professionally? On the mind side of things, I actually think like getting clear, and this has been a product probably of the two years that I took for myself, 
getting clear on what you really value and actually want in a relationship. And then kind of noticing that disconnect between like what you want and what your body or what your like nervous system is telling you. Because if I think about, if I were to ask my nervous system, what do you want? in a relationship to feel totally safe. Like if I'm in a romantic partnership with somebody and I want to feel 100% secure from the viewpoint of my nervous system, my nervous system would probably say something like, well, I would love to know where my partner is at all times. I would love to know, you know, how he feels about me at all times. Like tell me, you know, they joked about last week, like tell me I'm pretty, tell me you love me all the time. There comes in that like words of affirmation that are really just like, external validation and then like promise me you'll never leave me but when i think about like what i actually value and want in a relationship like i i truly don't want to be connected to somebody like that 24/7 i really value my independence i value my solo time sometimes i like to just be by myself and do my own thing and knowing that i really value that in myself i would really love that for my partner as well to like have that sense of independence and freedom and like i've learned throughout the past two years how to trust myself and how to then start trusting others and i would really value that same amount of trust so there's like very clear disconnect between like what i know i want and what my nervous system needs And so recognizing like those two there, the answer is not, okay, let me find a partner that's going to meet all of my nervous system needs. In my opinion, it's learn how to meet your nervous system needs above all so that you can show up in the relationship that you want mindfully. Mm -hmm. A hundred percent. And that's where this is hard and this requires effort and work because it would feel in the short term, it would feel way better to know where your partner is 24-7 and your nervous system would feel, it's almost like it would feel better, but it would also feel worse because it's like, okay, where are you? Okay, tell me I'm pretty. Wait, where are you again? Tell me I'm pretty. And Mm -hmm. we would just stay actually in this constant state of like need and craving. And that's not, that's not um, great for us either. There's three, um, I was just in a training the other day and they were talking about like three parts of our nervous system. We have a threat response, we have a drive response, and then we have a soothe response. That state of nervous system is giving like drive to me. We're like, I, I'm motivated to ask, I'm motivated to check in. And, and that's a heightened state. And it's while we're not feeling threatened or scared of abandonment, we're still exerting a lot of energy. And it's our responsibility to do that soothing, that reparenting, that inner child work. We understand on a deep level, they are here. And I, even if they're gone, I am okay. And I am in control and I am safe. And that work is the powerful healing that then can shift our attachment styles and help us to heal. This also directly connects to the love languages conversation that we were having where it's fair for us to communicate our needs and it's fair for us to have a partner that shows up for us in the way that we want them to, but it's not all on them either. There is a big part of us and our work here. Yeah. As we begin to wrap up, like that was kind of my send off was... In this healing journey as adults, I think we find that it is not our fault that we have these 
scars or these trauma stories or any of that. Like it's not our fault that these things happened and Mm -hmm. that now we have this maybe anxious, avoidant, whatever, disorganized attachment style. It is our responsibility, however, to do the work, to make the changes for ourselves, not for anybody else per se, but like more so for ourselves. Like I want to do this work and find my way to a more secure attachment because it makes me feel better because it doesn't feel good to be anxious in a relationship. And like, likewise, I know clients that I work with that have that more avoidant attachment style. It doesn't feel good for them to run away from something that they really want, right? So this is more so like first and foremost about us doing this work so that we feel more comfortable and safe within ourselves knowing that when we do that, we show up for our partners, our relationships in a more mindful way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not our fault. It might not be anyone's fault. And yet it's still our responsibility for ourselves. We owe it to ourselves to do this hard, exhausting work. I understand all of that. And we still do owe it to ourselves. Well, thank you, Heather, for allowing me to come into this space with this share, this topic, and for putting on your psychology therapist hat here and uh, breaking it all down for us perfectly. Thank you. I love it. It was fun. I enjoy these types of conversations so much because I think like the nerdy part of me just loves it. And I know the impact, the positive impact that I'm hopeful it'll have. Yeah. And I think too, like, you know, as we have in conversations where we're talking about more of like the spiritual aspect of things. Like sometimes we can't really get there until we get, until we start at the basics first. And like, there's nothing more like basic foundational than attachment styles. So good old psych 101. Yep. (laughs) So Devin, I think it's your turn. If it's not your turn, it feels appropriate for you to look up at your vision board and share what's calling out to you today. One single word, and that word is bloom. And I think that that's on the personal level. Like, I feel like I'm blooming as I've been opening myself up to this sometimes scary world of dating. And as with any, you know, healing that we do, we are allowing ourselves to bloom, to blossom into the highest self versions of ourselves. Beautiful. I love it. Also serves your growing mindset right, therapy. Right. Name. <laughs> I was gonna say, I oh I love to say keep growing. So keep blooming, keep growing. This was a great episode, Devin. Thank you for bringing it in here. Thank you as always to everybody for tuning in. There will be an attachment styles worksheet in the show notes. So I'll also put a lot of the resources that we um, used in our discussion today. So check there if you're looking to learn more. Love a good worksheet. I know you love a good worksheet. And before we close out too, I know that you had mentioned you have um, a challenge coming up when this episode airs. So what do you have for us? Yeah. So this episode is airing early November. I am hosting a 30-day gratitude challenge for the month of November. So even though you'll be listening to this episode the first week into November, feel free to check out my website. There is um, a 30-day gratitude challenge. You can start at any point and continue on for 30 days. We celebrate Thanksgiving in November, so it feels like a really great time to kickstart or level up your gratitude practice. So 
It's got a lot of research on the benefits of gratitude. I'm giving away free gratitude journal prompts, as well as a 30-day calendar with a prompt each day for you to practice a moment of gratitude for 30 straight days. Beautiful. Can't wait. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Devin. Thank you to all of our listeners and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. We are so glad that you took the time to share this space with us. We'll be releasing new episodes of Mind Meets Body and Soul every Tuesday. So be sure to give us a follow and share this podcast with those you love. To connect with us and join our communities, head to the show notes where you'll find our contact information and individual websites. Until next week, stay grounded, keep growing, and trust that everything you seek is unfolding for you.